0: Did Justice Ginsburg go too far in her comments against presumptive Republican nominee Donald Trump? Should comments like Justice Ginsburg's be protected by the First Amendment? And would they be grounds for recusal in a future Trump versus Clinton case? Are judicial rules which bar endorsements of candidates and political statements by judges unconstitutional? On episode 14 of the ELB podcast, we talk to UC Irvine Law Dean and noted constitutional scholar Erwin Chemerinsky. So, stay tuned for our next episode. Welcome to the ELB podcast. This is Rick Hassan of UC Irvine School of Law and the Election Law blog. My guest today is UC Irvine's Dean, Erwin Chemerinsky, uh, who is also a noted constitutional scholar and a First Amendment scholar. Erwin, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. So uh, I thought it would be useful for us to have a discussion about the recent controversy surrounding Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her comments about Donald Trump running for president, the presumptive Republican nominee as we record this podcast. And just to recap what happened, uh, the uh, Justice gave a couple of interviews, one to the Associated Press and one to the New York Times in which she suggested that uh, she would not be happy, it would not be good for the court of the country if uh, Donald Trump became the next president. She joked that her late husband would have said that it would be time to move to New Zealand. A few days later, Joan Biskupik of uh, Reuters and CNN, who will be coming on to the UCI faculty for the next academic year, had a pre-scheduled interview with Justice Ginsburg, gave her a chance to... Uh, take back what she said. And and instead of taking it back, she doubled down. She called Donald Trump a faker. And uh, this uh, set off a number of condemnations and defenses of Justice Ginsburg. But it culminated in Justice Ginsburg issuing, if not an apology, a statement of regret, followed by an interview with NPR's Nina Totenberg, where she said, "Uh, I shouldn't have said it. Judges shouldn't get involved in these kinds of things. And I'm over and done with it. Uh, Even though Justice Ginsburg is done with it, the people are still talking about this issue and I wanted to talk to you and first ask you uh, to give me your overview. What do you think about what Justice Ginsburg said? Was it improper? Uh, What do you make of her apology? Uh, Where do things stand with you right now?
1: To be clear, Justice Ginsburg violated no law or ethical rule that applies to judges. There is a code of judicial ethics It says that judges should not make statements of endorsement or opposition to candidates for elective office, but this code of judicial ethics does not apply to the Supreme Court. I've been critical of that in other contexts. I'm still critical, but the reality is it doesn't apply to the Supreme Court. So she violated no law. She violated no ethical rule. She did violate a convention that Supreme Court justices don't make statements with regard to political campaigns. They don't endorse or oppose candidates. Now that's a convention that has sometimes been followed and sometimes not. Back in eighteen hundred, the Justice on the Supreme Court openly campaigned for Johnny Adams' reelection. In two thousand, Sandre O'Connor was widely quoted as saying at a party, it'd be terrible for the country if Al Gore was elected president. But I think it's a good convention that justices should not oppose or endorse candidates. That said, I also understand why Justice Ginsburg made the statements that she did.
0: So you had uh, written, I think this was before Justice Ginsburg's statement of regret, that you thought she had a First Amendment right to say what she wanted to say. And I wanted to ask you uh, first, um, is the question of whether or not she had a First Amendment right to say it the same as whether or not she would have to recuse in a case involving Donald Trump? or Are those two different questions? And and second um, – do you think that um, these, if the, if these rules should apply to judges? Uh, we, we know that the canons don't officially apply to Supreme Court judges. We know that uh, Second Circuit Judge Guido Calabresi had made some, I think, anti-Bush comments and was later admonished he was subject to the code. So should this code apply to the Supreme Court?
1: Rick, there are so many questions there. First, I think the code of ethics that applies to all the judges should apply to Supreme Court justices. It doesn't now, though, apply to Supreme Court justices. Second, my main point was that the general presumption of the First Amendment is that more speech is better. In fact, as you know so well, the reason the Supreme Court said that corporations have free speech rights is because the court said more political expression is desirable in society. That was the premise of Citizens United. I think we should abandon that premise only when we're sure there's a compelling reason. I was simply making the point that we do have a strong presumption that more political speech is better. Third, you raise the issue of recusal. I don't believe that Justice Ginsburg will need to or should recuse herself of any matters that are going to come to the court. She did not speak about any case that's pending before the court. She didn't speak about any specific issue. She's expressing her views with regard to Donald Trump. But whatever we think she should do, it's important to remember it's left to each justice for himself or herself to decide whether to recuse in a particular case. And I cannot imagine that Justice Ginsburg would recuse herself in a case just because Donald Trump is one of the litigants.
0: Oh, I agree with you as a predictive matter that that – Justice Ginsburg would be very unlikely to recuse herself. But uh, on the normative question, I believe you wrote uh, a few years ago that you thought that these recusal issues should not be left to uh, the particular justice. There was an issue a few years ago involving Justice Scalia and whether his duck hunting with Dick Cheney should cause him to recuse, and he issued an opinion for himself only. Do you think this is a matter that in the future should be decided by all the justices of the court? I continue to
1: believe that recusal should not be left to the individual justice to decide for himself or herself. No one should be a judge of himself or herself. So in terms of my general position, nothing has changed. I think that the ethical rules should be applied to Supreme Court justices. I think recusal should not be left to the individual justice. But that's not the legal regime we're operating under now.
0: So ideally, in under your system, what Justice Ginsburg did should be subject to sanction. But, uh, but she didn't break – just so I'm clear. But she didn't break – she clearly didn't break any rules that apply, but you would like those rules to apply.
1: And- I would like those rules to apply to Supreme Court justices like they apply to all other judges. You used a word there which is a very difficult one, sanction. I'm not sure what it would mean to sanction a Supreme Court justice. Short of impeachment, I'm not sure what's possible with regard to disciplining a Supreme Court justice. I mean, that's a difficult question once we say the rules should apply.
0: Well, I want to go back then to a point you made. You've you've had a few pieces that you've uh, written on this topic, but uh, in, in one of them, you talked about Justice Ginsburg's First Amendment right to say this. Yet Justice Ginsburg herself in, I'm thinking of her concurrence in the Republican Party of Minnesota versus White case as well as her um, concurrence in the williams Lee versus Florida Bar case, seemed to say that the First Amendment needs to give away in a much stronger way for judicial elections rather than for um, regular elections or other elections. She said uh, that judges are not politicians. And I'm just wondering how you square uh, the, you know, the First Amendment issues with the special compelling interests that come up in the context of judicial speech and judicial campaigns.
1: Again, there's many things in the question. Um, I think Justice Ginsburg wrote a dissent in Republican Party of Minnesota versus White. Yes, I misspoke. That's right. And she wrote a concurring opinion in William Julie versus Florida Bar, where she wanted to go further in allowing states to regulate speech in judicial elections, as compared to Chief Justice Roberts' majority opinion. And it was Chief Justice Roberts' majority opinion that declared that judges are not politicians, even when they're running for elective office. Now. I think that what makes this question difficult is one could say that we will allow greater restrictions on speech in judicial elections than in any other kind of election, but that doesn't necessarily deal with this issue, which didn't concern a judicial election. But I think that's too facile a response. I think the underlying question is how should we treat speech of judges? And it's interesting with regard to Republican Party of Minnesota versus White, I actually wrote articles on each side, initially taking the position of the dissent and then taking the position of the majority. Um, And I'm not sure I agree with the majority opinion in William Zuley. What you're dealing with in both of these cases is restrictions on speech that deals with the core of the First Amendment, the political process. And The question is, are we better off with less speech than more speech? And it's an issue that I haven't made up my mind on and have gone back and forth over the years.
0: Well, I'm thinking in particular of a case that uh, was recently decided by the Ninth Circuit sitting on Bonk, uh the Wolfson case out of Arizona. And this was a case where a judicial candidate challenged uh, a few of Arizona's rules for judicial candidates and judges. And one of them says that a judicial candidate uh, cannot endorse or oppose uh, any candidate other than um, himself or herself and, and an opponent in the very judicial election. Uh, it seems to me that that raises a parallel question to uh, the Justice Ginsburg question. You're right; it's not exactly the same. But so, are you saying that you're uncertain as to where you would come down? There's now been a cert petition filed, which yeah. will be before Justice Ginsburg and the other justices probably sometime in the summer or fall. My instinct is that that's unconstitutional. If
1: I were to give you my conclusion at this point, I think Republican Party of Minnesota versus White was correctly decided. It declared unconstitutional provision of the Minnesota Code of Judicial Ethics that said that candidates judicial office could not make statements of disputed legal or political issues. How can voters evaluate somebody without knowing their views on the issues? I agree with the majority and disagree with Justice Ginsburg's dissent. I think that I also would find the dissent more persuasive in William Julie versus Florida State Bar, though I find it a closer question because it deals with campaign finance and whether a candidate for office can ask for money. Um, But in terms of whether or not somebody who's running for judicial office can make endorsements for other offices, I think, again, more speech is better. And I don't accept the argument that letting judges or judicial candidates endorse candidates for other offices in some way tarnishes the judiciary. So my instinct would be that those provisions are unconstitutional.
0: So I want you to imagine a scenario where Justice uh, Samuel Alito goes on uh, Fox television with uh, conservative uh, host Sean Hannity and talks about Crooked Hillary and gives his, uh, opines on the, uh, uh, who should uh, win in various Senate races, troubling, not troubling, uh, something that should be subject to uh, those, uh, those recusal rules, because it sounds to me like, given what you've said about endorsements, that maybe those recusal rules themselves were, are unconstitutional.
1: I find it troubling, just as I found it troubling, for Justice Ginsburg last week to say that she found Donald Trump a faker or to say that she, her late husband decided she should move to New Zealand if Donald Trump is elected. I found it troubling that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Donald Trump were exchanging insults last week. Um, but I also want to fight the hypothetical a little bit. My guess is there's a reason why Ruth Bader Ginsburg did this, and it wasn't because of Donald Trump's views on issues like abortion or affirmative action or judicial activism. I think she rightly perceives that Donald Trump is a threat to the rule of law and our legal system in a way that no other candidate in recent memory in American history has been. I don't think it's coincidence that she chose to speak out right after the Trump campaign ran an ad with a six-pointed star of David superimposed over $100 bills and criticizing greed, apparently an image taken off of a white supremacist website. Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her lifetime has seen what can happen when extreme nationalist movements that express racist, anti-Semitic messages come to power. And so in that sense, it's different than Samuel Alito criticizing Hillary Clinton. But in the end, to be consistent, I have to say, I'm troubled by it. But I think I'd come down to I don't see the harm in the way that many other people do. I would say the First Amendment here would protect the right to do it.
0: Well, let's talk about what the harm is. I mean, one thing that uh, I think there is a social or governmental interest in is preserving the appearance of the impartiality of the judiciary. And so uh, do you think that there is a danger of the public Suppose we have Trump versus Clinton before the election, some dispute over some election rule in Ohio that could make the difference. Do you think that that people fairly could question Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg's ability to be objective, or Justice Alito, if he were to do the kind of hypothetical I did, uh, if statements are made as Ginsburg made about the, uh, the 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 nature of the character of the person? where there's so much at stake in the election as you've painted it, don't you think that at least some people would reasonably question the impartiality of the justice in that position?
1: The assumption is that we're better off with enforced silence than we are with knowing their views. Let's go back to the last time something like this happened in the Supreme Court, Bush versus Gore. The five most conservative justices, all appointed by Republican presidents, voted for George W. Bush, The four more liberal justices, two of them appointed by Democratic presidents, voted for Al Gore. All of the justices' impartiality was questioned. All perceived rightly or wrongly that the justices were voting their ideology. Even though they'd never made statements like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last week, do the statements really change anything? I've never liked the idea that we preserve a certain image of the court through silence. I mean, my view is always it's better to know people's views than to pretend that they don't have any views.
0: Well, there's a difference between a jurisprudential view versus a view of a, of a person's worth or their, uh, whether they should be uh, elected to office. And so I'm thinking of Justice O'Connor's comments, which you mentioned earlier, that were off the record, and, and I don't know that she ever confirmed that she made them, that she thought it would be terrible if Al Gore were elected president. Even that caused people concern, don't you think things would be worse if the justices would be out there having taken sides beforehand? And as the Supre- unlike in Bush versus Gore as the Supreme Court becomes a court now where all the conservatives are republican appointed and all the liberals are democrat appointed, doesn't this risk further politicizing the court?
1: What you're assuming in that question is that the perception is different if there's silence than if they say out loud what they think. Everyone knows that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a liberal Democrat. Everyone knows what liberal Democrats perceive with regard to Donald Trump. Samuel Lido, your example is a conservative Republican. We certainly know what conservative Republicans think of Hillary Clinton. Does saying it out loud really change anything? Had the justices said something before Bush versus Gore, like the Ginsburg statement, would we really perceive Bush versus Gore any differently than we do? I don't think so i think most people perceived bush versus gore was the result of having five justices who wanted to see george w bush president and four who wanted to see al gore being president that's not how i perceive it but i think
0: how most people saw it well i think most people today couldn't name i think we have evidence of this couldn't name a supreme court justice or couldn't name many supreme court justices but certainly certainly if we had a dispute that uh came up uh in a Trump versus Clinton way, and there were these statements made by Justice Ginsburg, many, many more people would learn about it. And so I guess I, I fight the uh, assumption of your question that everybody knows where the justices are. Uh, so uh, you know, may, maybe the, the uh, uh, in a fully informed society, this would be different than in the society we live in right now.
1: Of course, the difficulty is everyone, because um, you're right more people can name some of the seven dwarfs than can name Supreme Court justices. But obviously, many people know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. Um, I think the hard question for her was, if you're a person of enormous influence with a powerful voice in society, and you see something which you think has the risk of not only undoing everything you've done in your career, but really a threat to the very nature of the rule of law, Do you remain silent and then regret it if the worst happens, or do you use your voice to speak out? I find that an enormously difficult question.
0: Do you think that Justice Ginsburg, now we're psychoanalyzing, but do you think that Justice Ginsburg actually thought that what she would say would have an effect on the outcome of the election? And if so, I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but that seems to be seeing yourself as having a great deal of influence over public opinion.
1: I won't try to psychoanalyze Justice Ginsburg or anybody else. I will say that she's a brilliant woman, and I think she made a deliberate choice to speak to the AP, to the New York Times, to Joan Peskubik from CNN. And I can only guess as to what her motives were in doing so. Um, I do think that she felt it important to speak out against something that she's very frightened about, and I understand why.
0: Well, I want to ask you one last question. Just going back to something that we talked about a few minutes ago, which is the the canons uh, that apply to federal judges, aside from just the justice of the Supreme Court. Do you think that that canon, which prevents judges from uh, speaking out politically on uh, federal judges in uh, in terms of candidates, is it also uh, potentially a a violation of the First Amendment rights of these judges?
1: I'll answer the question as you phrased it. Do I think it is potentially a First Amendment violation for these judges? Yes. I think any restriction of political speech is potentially a First Amendment violation. I think the question is the one we were talking about. Is there a compelling interest in stopping this speech? If the compelling interest is preserving a false impression of neutrality, I won't accept that as a compelling interest. I'm somebody who always believes it's better to see things the way they are, better to know somebody's views than to assume what they are or assume they don't have any. So yes, I think there's certainly a potential First Amendment challenge here.
0: I wouldn't phrase it as uh, an illusion of neutrality, but maybe fostering neutrality. Maybe when judges have to appear neutral, they actually internally try to act more neutrally. and So that's probably how I would frame the interest.
1: Let me use an analogy. When Clarence Thomas and David Souter went for their Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, each of them said they had no views on Roe v. Wade. That led the then president of the National Organization of Women, Patricia Ireland, to say there's only two adults in this society who have no views on Roe v. Wade, and they're both on the United States Supreme Court now. I think it's better to know what their views actually are than to pretend that they don't have views. I don't think in forced silence, makes it less likely they have views. It just means we don't know what they are.
0: Well, with that, I think we'll have to end it. Erwin, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this fascinating issue, and I'm sure this won't be the end of the discussion.
1: Thanks it's so always a pleasure to be with you. Bye-bye.
0: The ELB podcast is supported by the University of California at Irvine School of Law, but I am solely responsible for its content. The technical producer of the ELB podcast is Jared Klein. The theme music is the composition Jazz by the band BeatFN, used under Creative Commons license. Join us next time for the ELB podcast. I'm Rick Hassan. Goodbye.